Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 34. Numbers 34. And here we are nearing the end of the book of Numbers. And it's so beautiful when you remember our study through the book of Exodus. Remember in Exodus when Moses goes up into the top of the mountain with uh, Joshua and he tells Joshua, okay, Joshua, you stay right here. And he can, Moses continues to go up. Remember, he's, he's an old man. Moses is an old man, and, and you know it's, he's not like the a uh, 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 spring chicken where he just you know uh, uh, frolics up the hill. He's an old codger, so he's an older fellow, and he continues going up the mountain. He leaves Joshua, goes up into the mountain, and disappears into a cloud. And it's in that cloud where he has intimacy with the Lord, and it's in that intimacy where the Lord just lays it out: the blueprints for the tabernacle, the priestly garments. Uh, instruction on duties of the priests and then we get into Leviticus and you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing the the events which happened I mean it wasn't a pretty picture what happened when Moses and Joshua got down from the mountain it wasn't a pretty picture but what's so beautiful is that you do see the Lord's mercy his grace his mercy and his love and also his judgment when, when Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain. And then at the same time, we get into Leviticus and there's uh, more statutes that are added in uh, conduct of the priests, the, the uh, Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim, and then also the uh, 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 the processes, what to do uh, with the, 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 the vessels that have been constructed, that have been built. And then you see the people, what happens with the people. When you get into Numbers, you see, I mean, you see a little bit in Leviticus, but then you get into Numbers and you see like the actual performance of these duties in the tabernacle. And the whole purpose is for people to be right with God. Now, in saying that, I'm not advocating the law. Remember, we are Christians. We are people of the new covenant. It's not that we go back to the law because righteousness can never come through the law. Understand that righteousness never comes through the law. If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. That's what Paul says to the church in Galatia, who they were seduced to return back into the law. Now, we abide in Christ, which is the fulfillment of the law. You see, it's never to go back to the law, but to abide in Christ, which is the fulfillment of the law. But even as we study these things as new covenant believers, it's so beautiful to see the steadfast nature of our Lord, his grace, his mercy, and his love. And yes, his judgment, his judgment. You know, people say, oh yeah, God is love, God is love, which is absolutely true. He is love. But don't forget, don't ever, ever, ever forget. We must never forget that he is also just He's a God of justice and his justice. I mean, you see, you know, people say, oh, there's this injustice in the world, injustice in the world. But what about the injustice in your heart? You know, you, 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 you see, you know, like, you know, the, the injustice in the heart. When, when you think about the Lord's judgment, the Lord's justice, it's unlike anything we've seen in this world. The Lord's justice is from his word. We can never forget that he is just, yes, he's loving, yes, he's gracious, yes, he's merciful, but don't forget, he will judge again. He will judge again, and he does judge today. Remember our study through Romans 1? There is God's wrath which falls on individuals. Remember, listen to our study through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and God's wrath does fall on individuals. Now, if you're listening for the first time, we have, we're on some new platforms where the messages is like one or two. So we're on some new platforms. If you're listening on one of those platforms and you're here, we mentioned like, you know, listen to our study through Romans and you're like, oh, we don't have Romans. 
uh, contact us. Go to the church website, contact us, because we'll get those to you right away. Uh, it's very important to have these understandings of what the Word of God teaches us, especially in these last days that we're in. In these last days, it's very perilous. The Bible teaches us it's perilous times, times of sorrows. Not times of sorrow, singularity, times of sorrows, plurality. I mean, you know, I have these conversations with Christians. And in these conversation, conversa- conversations, conversations, uh, 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 a theme, a general theme is just sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. We're starting to feel like we're more of a minority. And these things must happen. These things must happen for all of Scripture to be fulfilled. It's like, you know, I have these conversations with Christians and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, my family dynamic. It's like this. My family's like this. My work is like this. You know, I might lose my job for this situation. Like, I can't find. These things are prophesied. These things must come to pass. We must understand the signs of the times and the times of the signs because the Lord tells us these Certain things must happen, you know, inflation, the increasing cost, the rise in the cost of pretty much everything. These things, the the impact on, you know, the the inflation is, you know, impacts uh, the Western culture in one regard, but it really hits home in the third world. You know, it really, really hits hard. And so you're starting to see these things come to pass, which begs the question, Lord, are we indeed a last day's generation? Are we indeed a last day's generation? And we're starting to see, and not just starting to see, we've been seeing it for the past several years now, is the converging of all these prophecies of the last days. Understand the times. Understand the times. It's very interesting to see what's happening within the remnant. Within the remnant. The, the, the false church or the apostate church or those who are entering apostasy, they're, they're either blind or moving into blindness or becoming blind. And their hearts are being harder and harder. They're getting harder and harder. These things are prophesied to happen. Meanwhile, love waxes cold. It continues to wax cold. And our culture is going to change. It's going to get worse. And what I love so much about these Old Testament passages is that the Lord has taught Israel. The Lord has shown Israel his, his ways And now his expectation is for Israel to walk in them. And we see Israel according to the flesh, but then there's a lot of alignment in the life of the Christian. When the Lord teaches us his ways, Old Testament, New Testament, he reveals more of himself to us, you and me as Christians, as new covenant believers. And then at the same time, it's okay. Now, what are we going to do with these things? What are we going to do with these uh, 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 truths that we've been taught, that we understand? You know, are we going, going to apply them in our lives? And in the application in our lives, what does that look like when we actually engage? And I say combat, engage in combat, engage culture, engage. What does that look like? Well, we see that in the book of Acts. We see that with Paul's holy bubble. You hear me reference Paul's holy bubble a lot through our study in the New Testament. But this bubble is not just like a a group of elitist Christians. No, these are actual fishers of men, fishers of women, souls, saving souls. You see, with wisdom, with wisdom. You see, it's so beautiful when you see the Bible in this context, understanding that the Lord never changes. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I never change, says the Lord. Read Malachi. And so you see in this, as, as we near the end of the book of Numbers, it's almost like uh, Moses' final dissertation to Israel. Because remember, the Lord told him, because of Moses' own disobedience, you know, the, the Lord said to Moses, Hey, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. The first generation must die in the wilderness. It's the second generation which moves on, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And so at the same time, we see these, as we get to the close of the book of Numbers, and then we're going to enter Deuteronomy, it's like the final dissertation of Moses unto Israel, understanding that he's going to die on this side of the Jordan River, and the next generation, they're going to move on to greener pastures. You see, oh, you're going to move on, and so this is a final dissertation. Like, don't forget, don't forget. Remember these things, bind these things on your heart. That's what you see in Deuteronomy. And it just blows me away so much because as Christians, we understand these things, we study these things, and think of what happens with Israel for our own lives. For our own lives. And, you know, we see here in verse 1, chapter 34 of the book of Numbers, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries. Now, remember, the first generation, they were, they, they were incapacitated by their own fear. And in their fear, they suffered loss major loss because they thought okay now we're we're gonna go fight but no it was too late they were incapacitated by fear and they suffered loss major loss and that was the first generation and now for the second generation it's like saying hey you're up you're up you say wait a second you know god has ordained this to happen yes god has ordaining on everything ordaining but the question is who's gonna walk in those things Remember, we studied the predestination in uh, 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 Romans uh, 9. We studied biblical predestination. You see, it's like, well, you know, the Lord ordains these things, but who's going to walk in them? Because remember, the second generation is like, okay, is the Lord ordaining these things for the, for the second generation? Absolutely. Is the second generation going to do it? Well, that's up to the second generation. Remember last week in, when we study in chapter 34, look at verse, or in, in chapter 33, look at verse 55 of chapter 33. It says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You see, so, you know, it's like, you know, second generation. Now it's your turn. You're up second generation. But does that mean that the second generation is automatically, you know, you know, God ordains these things. Does that mean that it's automatically going to happen? No, they have a choice to make. They have a choice to make. You see, just like Titus and uh, Timothy, remember the, the, the next generation of pastoral leadership, you know, you hear us say from time to time, you know, Paul's going to die, Paul's going to die, and Timothy, Titus, you're up. It's their turn now. 
But we see that in Israel too, the first generation dies in the wilderness. And now for the second generation, now they have a choice to make. And what the Lord is doing here, it's so beautiful because, you know, these are things that you see what happened with maturity. Maturity as Christians, as new covenant believers, maturity in Christ. And with maturity in Christ, you could say, okay, uh, well, you know, like, say, for example, uh, you know, I'll speak very carnally in saying this or uh, worldly in saying it like this, but say you're a first grader. You're a first grader and you get in a fight and you lose the fight, okay, because you're just a little kid. And then say, for example, you're in high school now. And you're in high school, and it's not just that you've grown academically. Maybe you play sports. You started to, you know, you played, you did some wrestling, you played some basketball, you played some football, you played some baseball. It's like you're a different guy. You're a different gal. You're more equipped academically and physically. And so if somebody, well, you know, if you're in an argument, not an argument, but if you're getting in a fight, then you're... You're not going to lose that fight because you're different. You're equipped. You see? And I'm not advocating violence in any way, shape, or form. But I am advocating violence in the spirit. Violence in the spirit to fight and engage. And remember, the battle must first happen within. You must learn how to fight. But within first. And when I say learn how to fight, I mean how to deny those things which so easily ensnare you. And which is so easily ensnare me too. We're in the same boat. What are those things which so easily ensnare us? The works of the flesh. Now, we are the ones in fighting violently. We have to kill the Amalekites, kill the Canaanites, whatever those things represent in our lives. And once that happens, then, you know, just as you hear us mentioned all the time through the New Covenant our studies is that we're old wineskin transferring into becoming new creations in Christ, but we're becoming new wineskins. You see, new wineskins, so that new wine can be held inside of us. Heavenly wine, new wine, it's from the Lord. You see? And that's what happens with maturity. You're better equipped. So the first generation, when it was the first generation's turn to fight the Canaanites, as instructed by the Lord, no, they were incapacitated by fear. Now, the second generation, they're still fighting the Canaanites. But you know what? It's the people who are different. It's Israel who's different. Israel isn't the same as Israel before. They're different. Just as you hear us say in our study through Corinth, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, is not the first, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 bunch. They're different. You, I mean, with carnal eyes, you can say, well, it's the same church. And with carnal eyes, you can say in numbers, it's the same Israel. But with spiritual eyes, no. It's a different church. It's a different Israel. Why? Because they've grown. They've learned from their mistakes. The church, Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, learning from our mistakes. And we take cue from that. Let us be a people that also learns from our mistakes. And in so doing, we grow, we mature, and we're better equipped not to repeat those same mistakes. You see? It's not to say that, wow, the Canaanites are weaker. The Canaanites are weaker. No. Israel is different. And so this, this fight for the second generation, it's, they're a different second generation. I mean, Israel is the same, but 
It's now the second generation. And the same thing happens to you and me in Christ as we grow and mature in Christ. We're in, you know, academically speaking, we're in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third, fourth, fifth, and we move on to higher learning, higher understanding, better equipping, deeper equipping. You see? And you must understand these things. We must understand these things for our own Canaanites in whatever way, shape, or form they come. For our own Canaanites, for our own Amalekites, for our own Moabites, for our own Hittites, Hivites, whatever those things represent internally and externally. Because internally, you're going to fight battles. Those are going to be against the flesh. Externally, you're still going to fight battles. Read the book of Acts, you see it. Remember our study through the book of Acts. And I have to emphasize too, if if, if you don't have access to these things, just go to the church website and, and we'll get them to you. But it's very, very, very important for us to understand these things. You see? And so we continue in verse 3. Now, also understand here that, you know, what the Lord is about to do, he's setting up the borders of Israel. In verse 3, there's the southern border. In verse 6, the western border. In verse uh, verse 7 is the northern border. In verse 10 is the eastern border. And it's the Lord himself who is establishing the borders of Israel. You see, and throughout the Old Testament, always remember this too in your own personal studies. And we're going to address these things as we uh, continue further in the studies, Old Testament studies, and even New Testament. Is that the borders change based on victories and losses, battles that Israel faces. Borders change based on victories and losses. Now, their victories and losses are directly proportional to obedience and disobedience. You see, the Lord is guiding the steps. You see that in the Old Testament? But even as New Covenant believers, I tell you the truth, you will have peace in your heart. The peace that you have in your heart, the victories that you have in Christ, are directly proportional to your obedience or disobedience. And I'll tell you this from experience. It's not just like, well, I think it's that way, or this guy said it on TV, or I heard this guy say it. I read the New York Times bestseller, and he said it, so now I'm telling you. No, I tell you from experience. The victories or the losses that you have in Christ as Christians is directly proportional to your obedience or disobedience. You see, so many times people say, oh, Satan is oppressing me. I'm under demonic oppression. Well, not to have any sympathy for the devil, but these are kind of self-inflicted wounds, brother. These are self-inflicted wounds, sister. Because you say it's oppression. You say it's you're blaming Satan, but it's you. You're blaming Satan, but it's the work of your flesh. You're blaming Satan, but what do you expect? Did you, did you expect the Lord to bless, fill in the blank, this work of the flesh? Whether it be sex, drugs, alcohol, fill in the blank. I, I, I choose the big ticket items, you know, to, uh, to help us understand these things. But, you know, when I say sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards, it can be anything according to the flesh. Do you expect the Lord to bless those things? How can he bless those things? You see, like, like the, like the, the church in Corinth, first, not second Corinthians, first Corinthians, that church. You say, it's the same church. No, it's not the same church. You have to understand, analyze, and understand the difference between the two churches, the remnant of 2 Corinthians and 
the the uh, the 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 whole which contained leaven in First Corinthians. Not all of First Corinthians, but there was a separation that happened. And you must make these distinctions because it will help you in your own growth and maturity in Christ. You see, now if Paul was like, "Oh yeah, it's it's no big deal. Go go ahead and have sex with your dad's mom. Go ahead, continue to extort from your employer. Go ahead, continue to do that. Oh, yeah, your employer they make hundreds of millions of dollars. What's a big deal if you just scrape off thousand bucks here, thousand bucks there? No big deal. Go ahead, extort. Go ahead, be a drunkard, be a reviler. Now, if Paul did that, then he would be disobedient, and in his disobedience, he would fail to be a servant of the Lord." He would fail in being a vessel of the Lord. No, because he's a vessel of the Lord, because he's new wineskin, no longer old wineskin, and because he has, he's, contains new wine and the overflowing of that new wine, now, he can't be silent. His silence would be disobedience. You see, the Lord told him especially, hey, you're my messenger, and he told him too, hey, Paul, speak. Speak, don't be silent about these things. What's he to do? Oh, Paul, you're so mean. Imagine the defunct pastor in Corinth said, Oh, Paul, you're so mean-spirited. You're so mean-spirited. Don't say these things. And what if Paul lent ear to that counsel? He would be disobedient because the Lord told him, Paul, speak. You see? And so as we grow together and mature together in Christ, together, understand that this first generation of Adam within you, within me, must die. It's the second generation within us that is born again into Christ. We move on to the promised land and I speak of paradise. Now, if you're listening and you're not a believer, you must understand and know that God loves you. God loves you. He's not willing that you die and be separated from him. He loves you and he loves you so much he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross from you, for you. And do you believe? Do not be unbelieving anymore, but you believe. And I like to say, get in the ark with me. Get in the ark with me because God's judgment is coming. And we say ark, capital A, is Jesus Christ. Let us be a people which abides in Christ together. You and me together, abiding in Christ together. Get in the ark. Now, if that's you and you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, hit pause and listen to the message. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do just that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ and you come back and you listen and let us grow together. Let us grow together. Do not be unbelieving anymore, but be believing and receive Jesus Christ. God's grace, mercy, and love. He takes your sin and he places it upon his only begotten son and his son died. And the Lord raised him up again. You see? And together we grow and mature in Christ. And as we study these new, these Old Testament uh, passages from Numbers, understand as new covenant believers how it pertains to us and our journey as we cross the Jordan, so to speak. You see, and these borders which are being established by the Lord in verse 3, the southern, verse 6, the western, verse 7, the northern, verse 10, the eastern, as the Lord himself is outlining these borders, the, the second generation, they can learn from the prior generation and the mistakes of the prior generation. Now, also remember, 
The fact that this second generation, the makeup, the demographic, the census of this second generation, they've been through quite a lot. Because from the exodus from Egypt, there was still death that happened. There was still judgment that happened in the camp of Israel. What we're looking at here in chapter 34, this second generation, it's also a remnant of Israel. You see, because these parents of these kids, yes, they're going to die in the wilderness, but the, the death that, look at the death that happened to Korah, for example. Look at the plagues that came into the camp of Israel. There was still God's judgment, God's chastisement while in the wilderness. And so when we look at the second generation, it's not like they're without the chastisement. They are certainly with chastisement. Family members, family members who made their choices, or if there was like a, a brother or an uncle who aligned himself with Korah, well, that came at a heavy cost. So this second generation, they have real world learning experience. We must understand these things. It's not just like, okay, the second generation, you're good to go here. All you got to do is just walk over the, the Jordan, piece of cake. No, understand that in their history, there's a lot that they have learned. They're a different generation. This remnant that crosses over into the Jordan. And in so doing, they're still going to engage. They're still going to fight. You see, it's the exact same for the Christian. You see, you make these separations. You know, if you, you hearken to our study through 2 Corinthians, actually 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you make these separations. You are refined as a remnant. And it's not to say, okay, piece of cake now, everything's fine and dandy. No, the fight is definitely real. Both at two fronts, within oneself, within you, and then also that's internally and then also externally. Whether it be the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Moabites, whatever those things represent. Things of the flesh, things of the carnal nature, things of Adam. We still have to fight. You see? And you will take blows. You will take hits. I mean, we always talk about the armor of God, the armor of God, the full armor of God. And when you're a new believer, we put these things, we wear these things, the full armor of God. But... When you die, you're not when you die, but say like you're two days away from dying. That armor, that's not going to be the same armor. It's not going to be shiny. It's going to be have dents and, you know, nicks and chinks and scratches and scrapes. And, you know, it's going to it's going to be used. It's going to be used. It's going to be worn. It's going to be it's going to look beautiful. Because it's like, wow, I mean, I mean, militarily speaking, you ever see like a, a, a high ranking officer, say like a colonel, and they got like, you know, just like four ribbons. You say, okay, that's an office guy. You know, he's a colonel. He's got the rank, but he's an office guy, you know, but you see like a colonel and you look at their chest and they got ribbon after ribbon, campaign after campaign, you know, okay, this guy's a warrior. The two guys, they're colonels, they're leaders, military leaders. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're in, in terms of the responsibilities under that rank. But one is an office guy. 
One, one has never fought. One has never uh, committed acts of violence. It, he's just, you know, the, the, the office, they're both colonels. Same pay grade. But two entirely different people. You see, one has been stuck in the office, you know. The other has been in the battlefield. You see, that's like our armor. It's, you know, we wear the armor. We wear the armor. And I, I speak spiritually when I see the armor because it, we're, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But we wear the armor. But understand, you're going to take hits. You're going to take blows. You're going to have your shield, which will certainly take blows. But sometimes the shield, it, it, whatever dart you're taking, whatever blow you're taking, it might hit the helmet. It might hit the breastplate, but you'll still be protected. Then you learn to use the shield. And don't forget offense. We have swords. You see? When you die, two days away from dying, when that day comes, your armor isn't going to be the same as day one. The first day you put it on, it's going to be entirely different. It's going to be used. It's going to be used. You're not going to be like that office colonel where, you know, yeah, you got the rank, you got, you did these things, but you're just an off, no fighting. You know, you're just an office guy, no fighting whatsoever. No, that's not going to be you. You're going to be like that old crusty colonel, that beautiful, beautiful crusty colonel with, you know, the big fruit salad on his chest, campaign after campaign after campaign after campaign. Whoa, this guy's, this guy's been some places. This guy is a straight up warrior. That's going to be you. Male, female, I don't care, but that's going to be you. You see, because you're going to fight. And sometimes the fight will come to you. And, you know, it, what's so beautiful about these last days, we don't have to seek after, like go after a fight, you know. I don't mean, I'm not speaking carnally. But we don't have to see. The fight is coming here. The fight is coming up close and personal, right to our face, where you can smell the breath. The fight is right in our face. But where are the warriors? You see? And understand, too, when we, when we study the Old Testament, you're going to see, and you know, you, in your own personal studies, when you read the Old Testament, Understand that this base plate, do you remember when we were in Exodus and Leviticus, how we'd always mentioned that this is a nice foundation for your understanding of the Old Testament, post-law? Remember, pre-law, a lot of times, like the, the scribes and Pharisees would always ask Jesus Christ, well, how come the law says this? How come the law says this? How come, you know, how come Moses, how come, uh, 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 how come the law permits divorce? And the Lord was like, straight up, you know, Moses wrote, that was an additive of Moses, you know, because of the hardness of your hearts. That was why. Because of the hardness of men's hearts. But it wasn't always the case. And what did he do? He pointed pre-law. Pre-law. Be very careful. There's a Hebrew roots movement in these last days, which is growing. It's, you know, people, you know, they want more government. People are want more government and church structure. You know, the last days church... As it enters apostasy, the, there's a trap for the remnant. The last day's church is entering apostasy. It's prophesied to happen. It's, apostasy is right at our door. Doesn't even, you don't even have to go. It's coming. It's entered. Because pastors, elders will turn into wolves. That's what, read, read or listen to our study through uh, Acts 20. 
shepherds becoming wolves. And you're going to see more of that. And these false teachers, false prophets will present another Jesus, not a Jesus of the Bible. And so you have a remnant which realizes they see what's happening. They say, wow, I want more church government. I want more church government because it's a mess in this church. The, the pastors, their pastors, the elders, they're turning defunct. So I need more church government. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to a Calvinist church. I'm going to go to a reformed church. Or, you know, I'm so afraid of Calvinism and reformed. And so I'm going to go back to the law because there's more structure in the law. So I'm going to go to Hebrew roots. You see, it's all seduction. It's all seduction. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theory. You see, what's happening in the Reformed churches, mainline Presbyterianism, Reform, is they're starting to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. They're starting to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast, never take the mark of the beast. It's because of their misunderstanding of once saved, always saved. And it's also because of their misunderstanding of Kai. We studied that on Sunday a little bit. Or a little mention of that. They're missing. Now, listen to our message uh, uh, it's called uh, uh, do not take the mark of the beast do not take the mark of the beast and you'll understand exactly and we indicate some uh, uh ministry leaders who are starting to take this starting to advocate taking the mark of the beast so it, it, listen to that and you'll you'll have a deeper understanding but you know you have these remnant there's a seduction unto the remnant and they're being seduced they see the mess in the church which the last day's church is a mess it's prophesied. That's why judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first in the house of God. Everyone's oh yeah, God's judgment is coming upon the world. God, all the Christians, you know, we're always saying, oh, judgment is coming upon the world. I say we because you know we're all inclusive. You know, speaking about you remember the seven churches, the the warning in Revelation two and three. Everybody says, oh, the judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Some are saying, oh, yeah, we're, gonna, we're not going to be here. The rapture is going to happen. Others are saying, oh, yeah, your judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And kind of like a Jonah mentality where I'm going to head for the hills and just watch everything burn. You know, it's like, wait a second. Wait a second. Don't forget that, yes, God's judgment is coming. But also don't forget that judgment comes first, first in the house of God. You see? Judgment comes first in the house of God. It's all about all these churches are burning down. All these churches are burning down. Well, what do you think it looks like when judgment comes first in the house of God? Even Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord said of Nebuchadnezzar, he is my servant. Whoa. Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of the Lord? Yes. Executing judgment. I, I hate to speak this way. I hate it pains me to speak this way. But what do we expect? What do we expect? You see, judgment comes first in the house of God. In what manner ought the Christian to be? You see, times of sorrows. Not just one sorrow here, another sorrow here, another sorrow there. No, it's not like individually, it's multiple. All at once, times of sorrow. You look at family sorrow. You look at church family sorrow. You look at culture sorrow. You look at schools sorrow. Multiple sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. All at once. What do we do? Oh, let's head for the hills. Let's be like Jonah. Let's head for the hills. No. No. 
you're different. We're different. We understand the times. Are we to have a head for the hills mentality? Or are we to understand the times? Remember, sons of Issachar? Or are we to understand the times? And or are we to engage rescuing as through fire? You see? It's not, it's, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. These are times where we're going to get a lot of dents in our armor. A lot of dents in our armor. You see? Dents in our shields. Tire. I meant people, you play video games. A lot of, you know, these kids these days, the millennials and Generation Z, they play their video games. It's like, wow, look, I, I have a million lives. Look, you know, I can fight like this. I can fight like this. But to fight is, t- you get tired in a fight. <laughs> you get very, very tired in a fight. It's It can't be sustained forever. What does Jesus Christ say? He says, it's going to be so bad that even the no man will be saved, even the elect. That's what he says. But he also says, unless those days be shortened, no flesh will be saved. Even among the elect, he says. Unless those days be shortened. Now, if you see this dwindling nature among the elect, think of the tiring factor of the fight you see now the mentality to head for the hills and run away that's yes i get it i understand it i completely get it but understand that the fight comes to us in these last days the fight is coming to us we have to be wise I read an article earlier, the feds, they're like telling people, hey, you know, if you have extremism in your family, notify us. Here's the, here's the means by which you provide notification if you see these extremists rising up in your family. You have, you know, family get-togethers, you see? And you have all these people that have bought hook, hook line, and sinker into, you know, government. Even, the, even some of the smaller governments, municipalities, they're making proposals for, you know, you see these government mandates of like vaccines and where does it stop? Where does it stop? We're seeing the very early stages of the implementation of the Mark of the Beast system. The implementation, not just the implementation, but the distribution of the Mark of the Beast. And see these smaller municipalities, they're saying, oh yeah, if you're on any type of government program, be it health, finances, food stamps, whatever. And I teach from America, just so you know. But if you uh, if you do these if you're on the receiving end of any of these government programs, then it's mandated you have to you have to get this vaccine. What do you think is going to happen when when the mark of the beast comes on the stage? You know, the hands the hand that feeds is the hand that can kill. Don't forget that. A lot of people, oh yeah, I got my free health care, I get my free government this, I get my free government that. What happens when all those things go away except only? If you take this little mark, you see, oh, but this Bible teacher says it's okay to take the mark. This Bible teacher says it's a, it's a trap. It's seduction. You see, the fight's coming to us. The fight is here right in our face. We can smell its breath. That's how close it is. You see, where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? The Lord is establishing the borders of Israel here 
Yes, for Israel, but the second generation of Israel, they're different. They're different. Different in terms of they're not going to be afraid to engage the Canaanites. You see, like the second generation was, and it came at a heavy cost, or like the first generation was, and it came at a very heavy cost of the first generation. You see, and this second generation, don't forget that they're going to have kids and their kids are going to have kids and their kids' kids are going to have kids. And you see the progeny of Israel. And in this progeny, you're going to see generations not know the Lord. Do you know why? Because their parents never told them. Grandparents never told them. Or maybe the parents themselves were living defunct lifestyles. You see, very hardcore message for parents too. Because remember what Jesus Christ says of the millstone. You know, think of your kids. And I say this, you know, parents, I love you. Okay, if you're a parent, I love you. But your kids are on loan. Your kids are on loan. The Lord gave them to you. And he wants them back. Never forget that. He wants them back. What will be the condition of your children, your progeny? What will be the condition of your children that the Lord wants back when the Lord receives them? What will be the, their condition? Will they, will they even know him? And if they know him, will they acknowledge him as Lord? Will they submit their hearts to him? Or will they reject him? Will they spit in his face and say, I want nothing to do with you? Do you think you're going to get away with that, parent? No, you will give an account. You see, you will give an account. Parents don't think this way. They say, oh, yeah, you know, have my kids. And No, parents don't think that way. The eternal consequences for their present day choices. Parents don't think that way. Now, if that's you, if you're a parent... Start thinking that way. Let today be day one where you start thinking that way and behaving in such manner. A lot of parents are in bad situations without repentance. You need to repent. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Well, once saved, always saved. That's, that's man. That's a teaching of man. It's not from the Bible. You say, whoa, 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 wait a second. I was always taught once saved, always saved. Okay. Okay, you were taught once saved, always saved. Let's see what the Lord says. And I teach this all the time, and I'll probably teach it even more in the future. But turn with me to Luke chapter 8, the book of Luke, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, speaking about the seed, verse 11 says the parable is this, the seed is, is the word of God. But notice verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, praise be to the Lord, you have hearers, they can hear. And look, are those who, when they hear, in verse 13, they receive the word with joy. Wow, praise be to the Lord, they, re they receive the word. They receive the word of God. They had ears to hear. They receive the word of God with joy. But something happens here. And these have no root, you see. Root is what happens in the course of time. Root is what grows with maturity. Roots, you know, you see the ups and downs of a plant. 
The up is what's on the top side of the soil. The down are the roots growing deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil in order to support the, you know, the stem is going to get thicker. It's going to grow and reach up to the heavens. And that root needs to be firmly planted in the ground. The winds are going to blow and that stem is going to bend. And if the roots aren't deep, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. That's the danger behind being a baby. Very dangerous to be a baby. You see, we have to grow and mature in Christ. Look at the, the saints of Corinth, babies. You say, wow, it's beautiful for the remnant. Yes, very beautiful for the remnant, but not so with the ones who were shaved off. Not so for the leaven. Not so for the leprosy in the church. And leprosy, Old Testament, New Testament is outside the camp. They can be brought back into the camp. But in the state of leprosy, in the state of leaven, they cannot be brought inside the camp. You see, because they're leprosy, because they're leaven. The only way they can be brought back inside the camp is when they're cleansed. When they're cleansed. Old Testament example, the priest would go out and check on them. You see, the priest would go out and check on them. Just like Paul says to the church in court, okay, this guy who's leaven, they repented, bring them back into the fellowship. He says that in 2 Corinthians, not in 1 Corinthians, because order need to be set up in, in the church. Not in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a mess. And the Lord cleans house using vessel Chloe and vessel Paul. You see? And so, regarding verse 13 of Luke 8, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root, no root who believe for a while. See, wow, they received the word with joy. They heard the word. They had ears to hear. They received the word with joy, and they were believers. They believe in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Once saved, always saved. This guy's good to go. His name is written in the book of life. Now, he became a believer. She became a believer. Name in the book of life. Except the belief was only for a short while, which means what? Name out of the book of life. You see? Name blotted out from the book of life. Just as you read in the Old Testament and New Testament, names coming in the book of life, names coming out of the book of life. And in time of temptation, fall away. Oh, but this guy told me once saved, always saved. That's nice. Oh, but this lady told me once saved, always nice. That's nice. Oh, but this New York Times bestseller tells me once saved, always saved. That's nice. What does the Bible say? What is our ultimate authority? You see, is New York Times bestseller, is that an authority? Or is the word of God our authority? Genesis to Revelation. You choose. I'm just a messenger. You choose. What is your authority in life? Scripture or New York Times bestseller? Or the guy who tells you to take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Who doesn't understand Kaya and also doesn't understand biblical once saved, always saved. Or unbiblical once saved, always saved. Oh, you say you were saved by works. No, I'm not saved by works. Remember, works is a debt. Remember our study through Romans? Works is a debt. You see? Obedience. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. 
doers is what we do within and what we do externally in obedience to the Lord. You see, faith without works, faith without obedience. Remember the example that Brother James gives? He uh, hearkens to Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the account of Abraham and Isaac, it's everything that the Lord is saying Abraham does. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's what Brother James indicates. Obedience. Obedience. Which is better than the fat of rams, as we mentioned on Sunday. So let's go back now to our study in Numbers 34. In Numbers 34, in verse 3. Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin. Very interesting what we see here. Because you figure, okay, Israel's passing into the Jordan. They're, they're, they're crossing into the Jordan. They're entering the promised land. And that's it. Everything in the past is done. It's over. They're, they're done with it. They're done with all of it. But wait a second. The wilderness of Zin? They, they've already been there. They've already been there before. You say, wait a second. I, you know, wow, we're going to someplace new. Look, we're going to someplace new. We're going to enter the promised land. But is it really someplace new? No. In these southern borders, it's someplace old. You know who's new? Israel. You see? They're new. Because they're not the first generation. They don't have the mindset of the first generation. They're second generation. They have learned from the mistakes of first generation. Maybe from their own mistakes too. You see? They've learned. They've grown. They've matured. They've moved on to perfection. You see? They've learned from the mistakes. Their own prior mistakes and the mistakes of the prior generation. Now, another admonition for parents. You learn from your own mistakes. Number two, you teach the second generation in accordance to Adam, your progeny your seed, you teach also from your mistakes. A lot of pride within parents. Oh, I didn't make a mistake. Oh, my kid has to submit to me. My kid has to submit to my authority. Well, if you're carnal, your kid should not submit to that. You see? Your kid can respect you. And oh, but the Bible says, honor my, honor your parents, honor your parents. So kid, you have to honor me. Well, what about when what you do is dishonorable, parent? Mommy, daddy. What about when what you do is dishonorable? Forget the kids. What about when it's dishonorable before the Lord? What about when shame is brought to the name of the Lord because of your actions? Is that honorable? Is that something to be honored? Be straight up with yourself. I'm being straight up with you. You be straight up with yourself. You see? No. Humility is required. If you have brought shame before the name of the Lord by your own actions, your own behaviors, you need to repent. And I love you. I know these are abrasive words, but you need to repent. Repent, 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 repent. And I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you. I'm... I'm as gentle as I can possibly be, but, you know, I do have some abrasiveness to me. 
I'm, I'm a work in project, uh, process, work in, work in progress, you know, God's not done with me yet. But you need to repent, parent, mommy, daddy, you need to repent. Because I've, I've had conversations with teenagers before, male, female, 12-year-old girls, 12-year-old boys, even 10-year-old boys, 10-year-old girls, they say, I can't wait till I'm 18. Why? Why? Because when I'm 18, I'm so out of here. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to join the military. I'm going to get a job over here. I am out because my home under the umbrella of mommy and daddy, it's a mess and I hate it. I've had these conversations with kids who want to kill themselves. Contemplating suicide. I've read suicide notes. The kid pulls it out of his pocket and says, Look, it's like a you know, dear parents, and it says, like, I'm done. I've read it before. I mean, for the kid who's alive, not like the kid who's died dead, but kids who have contemplated suicide. Parents call. Oh, come talk to my kid. Come talk to my kid. He's lost his mind. He's lost his mind. Go to the house. See the parents, hi, how you doing? Where's the kid? He's in there, okay? I go in, close the door, and we're like whispering. The kid's whispering because he doesn't want anybody to hear. <laughs> and he tells me I was going to jump off the bridge tonight. My parents, you know, yeah, they said I ran away, did all these things. I ran away to kill myself. I've had these conversations with kids. The kid reaches in his pocket, pulls out a note, read the, the handwritten note, saying goodbye to his parents. You see? You come out, the parents are frantic. Oh, tell my kid he's crazy. Tell my kid he's crazy. No, mommy, daddy, you're crazy. You see? Look at what you're doing to your children, your progeny, the seed. What God has made something beautiful formed in the image and likeness of his son. And as a child, he, he, he still continued to form because that little child was a believer. And now this child wanted to blow his brains out and jump off a bridge. Woe to you, mommy. Woe to you, daddy. You need to repent. And I mean, I don't mean woe like woe. I mean woe like W-O-E. Woe to you. You need to repent. You see, kids, they're always depressed, always depressed, always depressed. You have these conversations, oh, what's going on? Oh, my home is a mess. If that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. And I'm in agreement. If that is Christianity, I wouldn't want nothing to do with that either. But surprise, child, surprise, child, that isn't Christianity. Your parents, mommy and daddy, they are disobedient to the Lord. And you're a victim of their disobedience. You see, the first generation, you know, I, I was getting teary eyed the other day. I was watching the news, a little emotional because they were talking about inflationary. You know, I like to watch the news about inflation because it's all fake. You know, there's real reasons behind inflation and, and also biblical reasons behind inflation too. One of the signs of the times, you know, yet another sign of the time. And so, you know, this farmer was being interviewed and he was like, you know, getting uh, very sad for his children who are going to work on the farm and his children's children 
who are going to work on the farm and his children's children's children. And this was a young guy. And I thought like, oh my goodness, nobody even thinks this way anymore. Nobody even thinks this way anymore. Very few. Thinking about the line, the seed, greasing the skids for this seed, the progeny. Nobody thinks that was about me, me, me. What, what can I get for me, me, me? As opposed to, hey, how about you die for the next generation? How about you sacrifice for the next generation? So that they can learn and see from your example. You see? A lot of daddies don't set the example bar very high. A lot of mamas don't send the example bar very high. Same thing happened with Israel. So they died. Sons of Korah? Eaten, the earth opened up, taken. You see, they died. When that first generation was a poor example, the Lord killed them. The plague, the earth opened up, sons of Korah, and those who adhered to his teaching of rebellion, his example of rebellion, the Lord killed them. You see, even all of the first generation, because of their disobedience, die in the wilderness. You see, Praise be to the Lord that we're under grace because you have all this time to repent. Mommy, daddy. You see, and be cleansed by the Lord. Be cleansed by the Lord. You see, in verse 3, the wilderness of Zid, it's like, wow, they've been there before. They've been there, but does that mean that they crossed the Jordan and all is forgotten? No, they crossed the Jordan and look, their border extends as far down as the wilderness of Zin. They've been there before. Look, it's like, wow, they're, they're, the, the, the border that the Lord is establishing includes what lands that they have already traversed. And don't forget, at the same time, it's like all these moments to remember the work of the Lord. For this second generation to remember, oh, I remember the wilderness of Zin. And not just the wilderness of Zin, like, oh, it's so beautiful, the trees, the this and the that. No, the wilderness of Zin and the hand of the Lord. How he has shown himself to be faithful. Just as we studied, uh, you know, in previous studies about stones of remembrance and Ebenezer. Here, I said here I lay my Ebenezer, but it's here I raise my Ebenezer. But same concept, to erect the stone or to lay the stone. Let us be a people that raises our Ebenezers so that we can remember and not to forget. And not just first generation. Because first generation, parents, mommy, daddy, you're going to die. Let your stones of Ebenezer Stones of help when the Lord has shown himself faithful. Let them serve the next generation as well so that they won't forget. Not you. They won't forget the Lord. You see? The Lord. And so we continue in verse 3. And the southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom. Then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the salt sea, which is the Dead Sea. Which, prophetically speaking, will have life. 
Prophetically speaking, the Dead Sea will have life. You remember, uh, uh, the river, the, the waters will flow from the temple grounds. The waters will flow and, and then, uh, 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 uh there will be, uh, through Engedi and fresh water will come into the, the Dead Sea. It will, it will spring to life. You see? Now, Current, the current border of Israel it extends eastward to the end of the Dead Sea. You can look at the map. It spends it extends eastward to the end of the Dead Sea. That's the the modern day map of Israel. But you have to look at the the real map. You know the the United Nations they have a map of Israel which cordons off the West Bank. There's this little bulbous that extends uh, into Israel, and you know this bulbous what they call the the West Bank, which is Judea. What Jesus Christ warns about, let those be in Judea, flee to the mountains. And you see the line that goes into Petra, the area of the Jordan. It's all prophecy. These things will come to pass. You see, he says in verse 4, your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, continue to Zin and be on the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hezar Adar and continue to Asmon. The border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt and it shall end at the sea. As for the western border, you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be your western border. I like verse six, you know, the western border. Piece of cake, you know, the western border is just the ocean. I love that. As for the western border, he says, this shall be your, this shall be your western border, he says in verse six. In verse seven, <clears throat> In verse 7, and this shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you shall mark out your borderline to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hemath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. The border shall proceed to Ziphon, and it shall end at Hezar Enan. This shall be your northern border. You shall mark out your eastern border from Hezar Enan to Shepham. The border shall go down to Shepham to Ribla on the east side of Ain. The border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the Sea of the Chinnareth, which translates in the Hebrew as Kinneroth Kinnareth, which is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee. The border in verse 12 shall go down along the Jordan. So you, when you look at the, the, the modern day map of Israel, you can see even the, like the, uh, uh, the Dead Sea, that's the east side. And then you go up north, you follow the, the Jordan River and you go up north, you'll see the Sea of Galilee and then you'll see the, the border cut off right around there on that northern end. So, you know, but when we look at the, 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 the this, uh, uh, these, these borders that the Lord is establishing here in chapter 34, it doesn't all match with the modern day map of Israel. The modern day map of Israel is a lot different than what the Lord has prescribed here in scripture. And a lot of nations are meddling with Israel. Further proof of what the Bible says, how Jerusalem shall be a cup of trembling, a cup of trembling to the nations who mess with Jerusalem. That's what you're starting to see. You're not just starting to see. It's been happening for decades now. And you're starting to see all these nations coming together, trying to form peace, peace, peace. Remember, the peace of the last days will be false. It will be fake. It's all a trap. You see? And only the remnant, only the remnant can identify the Antichrist. 
Only the remnant can identify the Antichrist. You say, well, wait a second. We're not going to be here. For, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. <laughs> turn with me really quick since I brought it up. Turn with me really quick to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, the church in Thessalonica was... Um, um, they had a, a, a you know, let, 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 let the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The, the Lord is going to return at any given time, at any given time. But the Holy Spirit said on Paul, t- said to Paul, Paul, you need to set things, you set things straight here, Paul. Yeah, tell the church, write, write another letter to the, to the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul says, okay, Lord, I'll write a letter. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture, you see, concerning the coming of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture. He's, oh, no, no, that, that Jesus Christ comes uh, uh, for the church and then he comes with the church. Well, that's an excuse to, to, to say that we're not going to be here for the final seven years. Remember, the, the church in Second Thess- Thessalonians, this is a Gentile church, predominantly Gentiles. These are Gentiles that Paul is speaking to. Okay, these are Gentiles. And he says to them, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture, we ask you. Not to be soon soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the, the day of Christ had come. In verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, which day? Well, he says it in verse 1, our, the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. So the coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church, our gathering together. Okay. And Paul says, inspired of the Spirit to a church in Thessalonica, thought, wow, the Lord is coming, the imminent return of Christ, the imminent return of Christ. And Paul says, not to be soon shaken. And he says in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, which is the apostasy, apostasia, apostasy, the falling away, a defection away from truth. A lot of teachers now, they're starting to say, oh, the apostasy is the rapture. No, they, they, <laughs> no they're trying to uh, shove a, a square peg in a round hole. No. And in so doing, it breaks. It breaks. The falling away comes first. Remember, that day, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. You see, the falling away comes first. Which day? It's concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture of the church. And, and, no period. And, in verse 3, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. You see, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. Oh, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, let no one deceive you by any means. Let no one deceive you by any means. And I've been called demonic. I've been called satanic. Because I don't adhere to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. It's a theory. I don't prescribe to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. This is just one of many prophecies. Now, regarding this son of perdition, 
Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When does that happen? The abomination of desolation, which Jesus Christ says in Matthew 24. Uh, Daniel 9, when is the abomination of desolation? In the middle of the 70th week. That alone right there. The, the, the abomination of desolation being in the middle of seventieth of the 70th week. And when you read Matthew 24 and Second Thessalonians 2, that alone right there obliterates pre-tribulation rapture theory. You see? And if you still want to know more, listen to the message. It's called, When is the Rapture? When is the Rapture? You see? Because we highlight not just these passages, but other prophecies, Old Testament, New Testament. You see? Oh, but why, why would God hurt his bride? Why would he? Goshen. Goshen. Do you forget Goshen? Do you forget Goshen? Oh, but we're not going to be here. The Lord will rapture us. Look at the Egyptian model. Plague, 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 exodus. You see? Even through the plagues, there was Goshen. It is written. Let's go back to Numbers. In Numbers chapter 34, verse 12. The border shall go down along the Jordan, and it shall end at the, sea, at the salt sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. You see, the Lord himself is establishing the borders of Israel. Now, Israel... They need to walk in this foreknowledge now. This second generation, they must know and remember and retain these things to understand that this is given to them by the Lord. You see? In this foreknowledge, what about you and me? What about the foreknowledge that the Lord gives us? Not just about our conduct as Christians in this world, but the things that will happen. You see, just like, you know, we're, we're uh, uh, traversing in the wilderness, so to speak, on our way to paradise, following Christ. And the Lord teaches us about conduct in the camp. Just like the Old Testament conduct in the camp. Leprosy, out. Leaven, out. Leprosy is no longer leper, a leper. Come back in. Uh, leaven is no longer leaven, come back in. And we continue. You see? The Old Testament, New Testament, exactly the same. Why? Because I never change, says the Lord. He never changes. Culture changes, perceptions change. He never does. He's the constant. And so we traverse, we learn, we grow, we mature, we get a little dirty, and then we get clean. We get a little dirty, we get clean. You see, the camp, that the hole. Remember, the hole, which you start to see these, how it's almost like it's a repetitive process. You see clean and then dirty, clean and then dirty, and then clean and then dirty. You see it in the Old Testament, but you also see it in the New Testament. And you also see it. When you look in the mirror, you see, clean and then dirty, clean and then dirty. 
but we learn from our mistakes. More clean, less dirty. You see? We're in these earth suits. We're in, we're wrapped in corruption. But one day the corrupt will put on incorruption. One day. Not yet though. And as we traverse the wilderness on our way to paradise, you know what happens? The Lord says, okay, this is your, this is what the camp must look like. And at the same time, at milepost five, this is what's going to happen. At milepost 10, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be attacked on this front. You're going to be attacked on this front. You're going to be attacked on this flank. You're going to be attacked here. But as we traverse, maybe at milepost five, the, the Lord will take care of the battle. And then at milepost 10, we do. As that the Lord is still doing it, but through his vessels. You see, that's what we see. Remember, the Lord took care of Egypt. But then he turns to Israel and says, okay, you know, I took care of Egypt. Now you do the Canaanites. I took care of Egypt. Now you take care of the Moabites. The same thing for Christians. Yes, I cleansed you. The Lord cleansed us. Now, okay, let us lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. You see? Now we have our end to do. You see? Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. Oh, but once saved, always saved. That's a trap. It's a seduction because once saved, always saved. All of a sudden, I can traverse left or, or uh, uh, trespass left, which is, remember, our study through Leviticus and we, we study the trespasses, Old Testament, New Testament, and it's sidestep literally translates as sidestep now a sidestep left if when you're walking the narrow path a sidestep left has no bearing on your walk when you repent and sidestep right you get back to where you need to be it's almost like it never even happened because you sidestep left which is bad but then you repent and you get right back in the middle you have to sidestep right okay but when you're walking the narrow path you sidestep left Oh, once saved, always saved. You sidestep left again. Oh, once saved, now you're two steps away from the center of the narrow path. Once saved, always saved. Sidestep left. Now you're three steps away from sidestep left. So that's some, you know, beefier repentance that needs to happen to get back right in the middle of the, 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 the narrow path. Sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left. All of a sudden, the whole time your heart is getting harder. Harder and harder and harder and harder. You say, wait a second, but once saved, always saved. I know we read that verse from Luke, but I still believe this New York Times bestseller. I still believe this study Bible, which is interpreted, misinterpreted. Okay? Turn with me to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. And I say this all the time. And you know what? I'm going to keep saying it all the time. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren. Brethren. Interesting. Christians. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Wait a second, they're Christians. They're Christians, they're brethren. How can there be an evil heart of unbelief? Once saved, always saved. In accordance to the New York Times bestseller, in accordance to the, to the study Bible. Well, what about in accordance to the Word of God? Oh, but this guy says this. That's nice. But this New York Times bestseller, he says this. That's nice. What does the Bible say? 
an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. What is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what happens with our hearts. So we're in the middle of the, the, the narrow path. Sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, left, left. The whole time, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder. It's a trap. It's a trap. Because Satan wants your heart hard. You see? Oh, but we're in the, the, the grasp of Jesus Christ and no one will be lost. He will lose nobody. Yeah, biblical truth. But you know what? Don't walk away. Don't walk away. You see? Sidestep left, 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 left. The whole time your heart is getting harder and harder and harder and harder. Then, boom, the fall. Falling away. Now you get into Romans 1 situation, which you're under the law, and the law is a tutor to bring you back to Christ if you can hear, if you submit to the tutor. If you don't submit to the tutor, wrath. Romans 1, God's wrath on individuals. You see? And God's wrath is coming on the land, but God's wrath comes to individuals. And we see the fruit of God's wrath because you have multiple people, individuals, you have masses that are under God's wrath. But where are the messengers to save people as through fire, just like Brother Jude writes about? Where? A lot of Christians, they want nice, shiny armor, nice, polished, shiny armor, never been used, but that's like that Colonel with this nicely pressed uniform, you know, uh, camouflage. They wear the camouflage, but it's like brand new. You know, uh, 15 years in service, but it's like brand new because it's never been used, never been ripped, never been torn. Like that Colonel, the office guy. No, be like the other Colonel. Well-seasoned in war, well-seasoned in warfare and combat, and experienced, you see? If you desire bright, shiny, freshly polished shield, freshly polished armor, no, that's, that's a dangerous mentality. That's a head for the hills mentality. That's that's I'm out of here mentality. No, we will have dents. We will have a lot of dents. When you take you when you die, I'll, I'll say two days, the day before you die, or maybe the morning of your death. You know, the day you die, but that morning when you wake up, do you know how funky your armor is gonna be? Your armor is gonna be dented and bruised and you know, little chinks in the side where the enemy came to, you know, slice down with his sword and you hit your shield up and it's like it got, his, his sword got stuck in your shield. Now you have this little chink on the top of your shield. That is the most beautiful, beautiful shield. People think, oh, I want my shield to be nice and shiny and make it beautiful. No, that's uh, the, the, the office colonel will think that's a beautiful shield. But the old, beautiful, crusty colonel who's well-seasoned in combat will look at that shield and be like, that is the most beautiful shield. Because to the warrior class, the used shield is just beautiful. You see? The, the morning of your death, 
your armor is gonna be so banged up and beaten but you know what what's nice and safe on the inside you you friendliness with the world is enmity with god these are things that israel the second generation has learned and needs to remember that and hold on to him hold on to his truth and remember the lord and what we're seeing now in numbers it's it's beautiful what we see in deuteronomy when moses final dissertation to the people and you see we get into josh it's like wow it's so beautiful but don't forget you're in joshua and joshua's like as for me and my house we shall serve the lord and it's so incredibly beautiful and the people respond they're like yes we're on board we're just like that we're gonna do the same and then you close joshua turn the page judges see judges it wasn't what happened was the lord unfaithful no 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 not at all remember the lord is reactionary who was unfaithful israel because they forgot what about you and me don't forget oh but once saved always saved look short-term believer is it's possible let it not be said of you or me, we're in the same boat. You see, count the cost. That's why the Lord says, count the cost. Count the cost. These days are going to get darker and darker and darker and more evil and more evil and more evil. And I fear for the church because we're not ready. We're not ready. But also don't forget the parable of the virgins. It is prophesied to happen. All the virgins will be asleep. You see, the watchmen will be awake. But all the virgins will be asleep. They'll awaken. But the time to store oil is right here, right now. And that's my urging to you right here, right now, is to start storing your oil. Be a biblical prepper. The carnal preppers, they get their canned goods, they get their this, they get that. Get their ammunition, ammunition. But the biblical preppers, we store oil because it's going to get dark. And people will run out of oil. Christians, the church, will run out of oil. And for those, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see? It's written. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. Numbers 34. We continue in Numbers 34. Verse 13, then Moses commanded the children of Israel saying, this is the land which you, you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe. You say, what is it? I thought there were 12 tribes. Yes, but you remember our study in chapter two, uh, 32 and in chapter 32, verse 33, it was Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh and they were going to remain on, uh, you know, Israel was going to cross over and they wanted to remain on the other half, on, on the other side. Well, you know, and, and the Lord was favorable unto that request and, you know, with certain provisions. You know, you, you can't, it's not your way to kind of uh, cheese out of a fight. You know, we're going to go fight and then you can't be like that office colonel. No, you're going. You got to fight. You're not to be defunct. You're going to fight. 
You see? Don't be defunct anymore. And you have to be honest with yourself. If you have noticed that you are among the defunct, I have a message for you. And it's easy. It's quick. It's short. Come out of her, my people. Don't be defunct. That's it. That's my message for you. If you notice that you are defunct and you have to be honest with yourself. Remember, oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. Bible prophecy right there. In the last days, many will be offended and will betray one another. Read Matthew 24. One of the signs of the times. Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm offended. If that's you, I have another message for you. Cut it out. Cut it out. Be ye defunct no more. You see? Learn how to fight. And that's what we do when we study the Word of God. We are equipped. You see? People say, oh, I, you know, I want to cross over here. I'm going to go over here. It's going to be bad. I'm going to go over here. It's going to be bad. It's going to be Well, hold on. It's, it's, it's like prolonging the inevitable. When things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. No, be ready for the fight. Be ready. You want a nice shiny armor? That's cheesy armor. That's, I mean, that's like, I mean, how fighters see the, okay, I'll just say, I'm trying to like, you know, think of ways to say this nicely, but how the warrior class look at like, the non-warrior class, they might wear the other same same military branch, same military, uh, same uniform, but different people inside those uniforms. You see? The different makeup, different character. We have to be fighters. And that's I, I speak spiritually. I don't say, you know, let's go out and beat everybody up. No. We have to fight within ourselves to deny the things of the flesh, to deny the things of Adam. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Carry our cross. That's a warrior. I used to think when I was a brand new believer, I hated Stephen. I hated Stephen from the book of Acts, the first martyr. I hated him. And I hated the Christians that were with him. When I, I was a brand new believer. And I hated them. I hated all of them. It's like, what in the world? Number one, why isn't Stephen fighting back? And, you know, if he can't fight back, if he's incapacitated somehow, maybe being held before the stones started flying, Why are not his Christian friends, the Christians, the church, why aren't they beating it? Why aren't they fighting? Why aren't they just, you know, just, just destroying everybody? But now, I tell you the truth. Now, I see Stephen and the very thought of Stephen brings tears to my eyes because he is one of the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful warriors I have ever come across in my life and come across from the pages of scripture. And I've come across some pretty crazy warriors. Very, I mean, they got the medals to prove it in accordance to Adam in this world. I've had encounter with some very, very tough warriors, mighty warriors, but there's nobody that reaches the level of Stephen. You say, what is it? He didn't even fight. Look at his restraint. Look at his self-control, fruit of the Spirit. Look at the Spirit which was with him. 
you see? And he saw the Lord. So when I when I speak this way, it's not carnal. It's not I say these things as carnal examples, but it's not carnal application. It is entirely spiritual. You see? So what's different? Stephen was the same. I mean, you, uh, the same words that I read in Acts are different. They are, are the same that I read today. Well, they were different in terms of, you know, when I first read, it was like NIV, the not inspired version. Now I read, you know, the uh, New King James and, you know, mostly not even in uh, translations from Greek. But what's different? It's not the word has changed. I have, you see, and I don't say that to boast, you know, the large majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. I only know a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. And to you, the tiny, tiny fraction, I'm not boasting. <laughs> For everybody else, what's the boast? I don't even know you. I want to know you. I mean, as surely as the Lord lives, I want to know you. And maybe on this side of eternity, maybe the Lord will give me a chance to get to know you. But we'll see what happens. What's different? I'm different. Before I hated Stephen, I was a Christian. And Stephen was a Christian. And I hated him. Why didn't he fight? He's so weak. He's so stupid. Why the Christians that were with him were so stupid? You know, take on Paul. Take on this Saul guy. Beat him up. These other guys holding you down, pick up the stones, throw them back at them. Kill them all. It was me that was wrong. But today I look at Stephen, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Warrior. Among. Whew, very short few in, in my ranking of war, the warrior class. Not a lot of people reach that level in my own estimation, in my own determination. Not a lot of people there. But of the ones that are, whew, these are very beautiful people. You see? Oh, I'm not trying to come off as the, the arbiter of things, but I'm just giving an example of my own thinking. All these examples of righteousness that we have, all these examples such as Joshua, such as Moses, such as Aaron, such as uh, the daughters of Zelophehad. Remember we studied that a couple weeks ago? All these examples that we have. I, I just listed some from Numbers. That's just Numbers. That's just a little chunk of Numbers too. What about the entirety of Scripture? Male, female, young, old? All these examples of righteousness, all these examples of the warrior class. You see, servants of the Lord. And so we continue in verse 14. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and the half-tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. This is what we studied a couple weeks ago in chapter 32, when you see uh, Reuben and Gad, they wanted to, they were like, oh, let us stay over here, Moses. And Moses was like, oh, you're not, you're not going to get your way out of a fight. 
You see? And in verse 15, I mean, I'm paraphrasing and there's more to that, but listen to our study through Numbers 32. And I also have to emphasize too, if you're listening on a platform which doesn't have prior messages, go to the church website and let us know and we'll get you those messages. In verse 15, the two tribes and the half tribe has received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan across from Jericho eastward from the sunrise. Now, biblically, this... The bulbous that you see, I mean, if you look at the map and you see, like, look at a, 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 a globalist map, you know, I, I don't, you know, that sounds weird. It sounds like, a, like an oxymoron. What do you mean a globalist map? You know, a map of the globe. But when you look at a globalist map or a map of, like, the New World Order, the map of the United Nations, the map of globalists, you know, the, uh, 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 um, of the Georgetown variety, so to speak. But, and I say Georgetown, like, look at, like, uh, of that, world elitist mentality the the united nations mentality that we just globalists you know you look at their maps that structure in certain universities you look at their map and there's this bulbous in israel and they call it the west bank but biblically speaking biblically speaking it should extend to the east you see because of reuben and gad and manasseh you see this is where, like, uh, Abraham and Lot, when they separated and, you know, and Lot chose to go east, you know, this is where Lot chose to homestead. And, you know, God had other plans because that wasn't so good for Lot. Now, I don't want to get off topic too much, but archaeologically speaking, they found evidence of destruction caused by a meteor shower in, that, in this area east of the Jordan. It's Sodom. That's what's so beautiful about these archaeological discoveries. It's, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, the Bible's so fake. The Bible's so fake. The Bible's so fake. And it's like, oh, what's this? You know, archaeologists, archaeologists, they discover this. They discover that. And it's like, wow, it brings validity to the Bible, carnally speaking, to those in Adam. But to those in Christ, it's like we have faith. We have faith. And faith can grow. Remember we studied that on Sunday. Let us be a people where our faith grows and grows and grows and grows. You see? And, you know, from the example, in a lot of cases, from others. Just like the Macedonian influence on the Corinthians. The Corinthian remnant. The Macedonian influence on the Corinthian remnant, just like the 12,001 influence to the 600,000. And I'm jumbling our studies together, but that's from our study through uh, 2 Corinthians and our study through the earlier chapters of Numbers. You see, all these things speak to us for such a time as this that we can have this understanding. You see, now when I say this bulbous of the West Bank should really extend to the East, those are harsh words in some circles, in some cultures. Those are very, very harsh words. But I have to say this. If that comes off as abrasive to you, depending on whatever your religion is, I have something to say to you. That Ishmael was circumcised before Isaac. You see? Jesus Christ, he's more than a prophet. Ishmael was circumcised before Isaac. And so we continue in verse 16. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. Remember, we see this is the next generation of leadership. Just as there was Moses and Aaron, now you have Joshua and Eleazar. You see? Moses and Aaron, and Aaron has already died, and Moses is going to die very soon, in short order, very soon. And, you know, because Deuteronomy, the span of Deuteronomy on a timeline, it's not very long. It's like a very short dissertation, but a loaded dissertation for Israel to remember. You see? And now you have Joshua and Eleazar, the, the, the leader, and then also uh, uh, the high priest. You see, in verse 18, and you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. These are the names of the men. If you're listening for the first time, I don't like to say this too often, but just so you know, you might go, why is this pause? You might think like, there's something wrong with your whatever listening mechanism you're using. Uh, but I have to take little sips of a hot tea or hot coffee. I got to take sips because my throat you know, pray because uh, my throat is pretty messed up. But uh, that's why if, you, if I say like, you know, let's look at verse 19 and then there's like a lot of po- lot long pause. That's why I'm taking a sip of my drink here. You need coffee, sometimes water, but it's mostly hot tea or hot coffee. But that's because of my throat. I don't mean to like, you know, uh, like, you know, leave you hanging, but that's the reason why. Um, in verse 19, these are the names of the men from the, from the tribe of Judah. Caleb. Now, remember, Caleb is one of the first generation that gets to cross over. Caleb and Joshua. They were of that first generation, and the Lord is allowing them to cross over. Why? Is because when the camp was infected with fear, remember the recon team that we studied several chapters ago? When the entire camp of Israel, the fear was spreading, and the majority, very large majority, was afraid, incapacitated by their fear. Caleb and Joshua, they stood for the Lord. Just two. Just two. I think it's very interesting when you look at, proportionally speaking, the number of men and women who stand for the Lord when the majority is often crazy town. You see? A little word of encouragement for the remnant. Because the church is entering, the world is entering, the world is in crazy town, but the church is entering crazy town. And in your heart of hearts, remnant, you're going to feel so alone. You're going to feel so, and you might feel it already. But these things must happen so that all of scripture can be fulfilled. These things must happen. And the son of God King of kings and Lord of lords will return and the governments will be placed on his shoulders. It is prophesied to happen and it will come to pass. It will come to pass as surely as the Lord lives. You see? And so we see here in verse 19, these are the names of the man from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of Amihud. From the tribe of Benjamin, Elidad, the son of Shishlon, a leader. From the tribe of the children of Dan, Buki, the son of Jogli. From the sons of Joseph, a leader. From the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Haniel, the son of Ephod. And a leader from the tribe of the children of Ephraim, Kemuel, the son of Shiftan. A leader from the tribe of the children of Zebulun. Elizaphan, the son of 
Parnak, a leader from the tribe of the children of Issachar, Paltiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of the children of Asher, Ehihud, the son of Shelomi, and a leader from the tribe of the children of Naphtali, Pedahel, the son of Amihud. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now, these are things that we've studied because the laws of inheritance in chapter 26 and 27, and you remember the intercession of the five beautiful daughters of Zelophehad? You see, all these things, provisions, provisions that the Lord is making before crossing the Jordan, there is instructions for when you cross the Jordan, this is what you must do. These are the things which you must remember. And I love this so much because these are the things which the Lord is saying to Moses. Moses, tell this to Israel. Say this to Israel. And what's so beautiful are these names. These names from verse 17, Eleazar is God is helper. God is helper. Eleazar, God is helper. Joshua, Jehovah saved. Jehovah saved. Caleb in verse 19, it's to attack, to be forceful, like to go on offense. It's to attack Caleb. Shemuel, heard of God. Verse 21, Elidad, God of love. Verse 22, Buki, it's uh, 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 to pour and spread as fruitful wine. That's Buki. Verse 23, Haniel, favor of God. Verse 24, Kemuel, raised of God. Verse 25, Elizaphan, God of treasure. Verse 26, Paltiel, deliverance of God. Verse 27, Ahihud, a glorious brother is how it translates. Verse 28, Pedahel, God has ransomed. You see how beautiful this is. This first generation which dies in the wilderness, and yet this first generation, they have been chastised in the wilderness. Chastised in the wilderness and corrected. And in the wilderness, they have their babies. I mean, you know, they, they, they have their babies and the, the beautiful names that they give their children. God is helper, uh, Jehovah saved, uh, 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 hand of God, God of love, favor of God, raised of God. All these beautiful names given to the second generation and this second generation, how they can be influenced by the prior generation, this first generation. But yes, they die in the wilderness. Yes, they die. But look at what they've gone through. In that chastisement, that period of chastisement in the wilderness. And they're not entirely unscathed. Because look at the death, the plagues when the earth opened up. Look at all these things that happened to them in the wilderness. You see? Sometimes we just want to blindly just, you know, forget the past because it's the past. And in some regards, that's a good thing to do. But in other regards, when it comes to the stones of remembrance, when it comes to our Ebenezer's, here I raise my Ebenezer's, or here you raise your Ebenezer, or here we raise our Ebenezer. These moments in the past, they can also be beautiful. If you're a parent, a first generation, so to speak, remember these things. 
Sacrifice for your kids, your little ones. Sacrifice for your kids. And if you're not doing that, cut it out. Don't be defunct anymore. Do that. You sacrifice for your kids. Because they're going to have to wear armor too one day. Maybe they're wearing armor already depending on their age, but they're going to have to wear their own armor. What is the condition, parent, mommy, daddy? What is the condition of your children that the Lord wants back? He's given them to you, but he wants them back. What be the condition? Like Hannah, Lord, give me a child. Lord, give me a child. Everybody thought she was crazy, but she's a beautiful warrior. Nobody can see her armor except those with eyes to see. A beautiful warrior praying before the Lord. And the Lord opened her womb. She has a son. And she didn't wait till he was like an adult to give him back to the Lord. She gave him back to the Lord immediately. And she raised him, you know, when he was a baby. But then she gave him back to the Lord. And Samuel served the Lord. And Samuel was an intercessor for Israel. You see, parents, the Lord wants his children back. He opened your womb. He wants his children back. What will be the condition that you give them back to him? You see, a lot of parents don't want to let go and they mess up their kids. You have kids who are 30 years old and, you know, they haven't, they still have the umbilical cord to mommy. 40 years old, they still have the umbilical cord. You got to cut that baby. You see? But a lot of parents, they don't want to let go. They don't think this way. When you think sacrificially, you grease the skids for your children. You make it easier for them. Yes, they're going to have their battles, but let them learn from your battles too. Like, you know, you come back. For example, if we were, say, we're a platoon of guys. You know, we're a platoon of guys, but, you know, we're uh, speaking of the faith, we're male and female, young and old. We're a platoon of guys. We go out on patrol. We go out on patrol, you know, uh, whatever we see, whatever we see, whatever we experience, everything we experience, we come back to camp and we give a report. We go to the intelligence officer, we give a full report and the leader of the next platoon, they receive that report. They talk to intelligence and then they, they receive a report on what to expect. And they go out and they go out with that knowledge that we have. It's like a download, a transfer of information. And then they go out on their patrol with that knowledge of what we experienced when we were out on patrol the whole time gathering intelligence to make their way safer for them, that second patrol. They come back, they give a report, and we rotate, and then we go out with that same intelligence. You know, who are the attackers? Who are the aggressors? Who are the ones that are likely to, you know, what are we engaging? What type of weapons? What type of, all the, it's, there's the intelligence aspect, which is gathering intelligence, but there's the other aspect of, hey, this other platoon, they're not in my platoon, but I don't want them to die. If they're in a firefight, you know, they're going to call us, and we're going to go and support them, and we're going to engage and return fire. You see, same concept, parents. You come back and you let your, your battles serve as aid for the next generation. Kids who start to do their crack. Oh, I'm a crackhead. Where'd you learn crack? I'm with my dad, you know. 
Oh, I'm a sex head. Where'd you learn all that stuff? Oh, my dad. You know, I learned it from my dad. You know, it's like parents always say, you know, like, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. But if you're a hypocrite, that's not good. You can tell your son, don't do this, don't do this, because I did it and I learned my lesson and the Lord messed me up and I don't want you to do that. I want you to learn from my mistakes. Moms can say that too. Hey, daughter, I don't want you to dress like that because look, you know, I dress like that. This happened to me and this happened to me and, you know, here we are. <laughs> but, you know, moms, dad, you can help, help the next generation of righteousness sacrificially. You see? And it's so beautiful because the Lord is the standard. The Lord is our standard. He is our example. And we follow Him. We, we follow after Him. And He is the one who leads us into paradise. And in so doing, He also teaches us how to walk our conduct, Christian character. And when I say Christian character, you know, they don't think like textbook, like, you know, like, the character of a Christian. No, no, just to apply these things, to live in the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And when we do walk according to the flesh, we repent because we don't want to walk according to the flesh. We want to walk according to the Spirit. We want to honor the Lord. You see, parents can be a great helper to their kids, but parents can also bring great destruction to their kids. You see? And if you're a parent, and you have brought destruction to your kids. Repent. Repent. You see? Repent. And be cleansed. Deep within. Be cleansed. Oh, I don't need to repent. I did that when I was 10 years old. Once saved, always saved. Well, we already covered that. Repent. Old Testament, New Testament. What do you see? The clarion call of God. Repent. 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 <clears throat> repent. In accordance to the law, being cleansed by blood. In accordance to the Spirit, in accordance to the New Covenant, being cleansed by blood. The blood of the Lamb, capital L, Jesus Christ. Cleansed deep within. And then, go and sin no more. We're still going to have sin. We're still going to trespass. But it's repent, Lord, forgive me. I, I blew it. Lord, forgive me. And then, also repent the sin of omission too. When the Lord wants you to do something and you don't do it, we repent for those things too. Man, there's a lot of repenting as Christians. There you go. There's a lot of blood in the Old Testament. How many times do you hear us say all the time, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, there's a lot of blood in the camp. A lot of blood. Well, there's a lot of carnality, a lot of sin. You see? Same thing as Christians. Repent, 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 repent. Not taking advantage of God's grace. Remember, Paul writes about that. Romans, he writes about that to the Second Corinthian church. Don't take advantage of God's grace. It's not, shall we sin so that grace can abound? Certainly not, exclamation point. No, we learn and we grow and we matriculate. You see, all these things, always learning. And so we're going to end our study here, Lord willing, pick up in chapter 35 next week to the beautiful people of the way, the remnant of righteousness. God bless you. I love you.